Now that I'm knowing my friends, Tom in particular. Mike's older. Yeah, Mike oh. wins. Yeah, Mike's, this is Mike's right. got the original. No, didn't you say Thomas no. Edison made that one? Sure. That makes me a genius because all my stuff is fictitious. Well, Tom, too. That's like, you guys are the Railroad of Lies. That's all. <laughs> now we're on to you. We're on to you. But Mike, that I think is what makes your railroad fun. Like, period. It adds an element that I don't experience. I have not experienced it anywhere else. You're listening to The Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division of the National Model Railroad Association. The topics and discussions are about the world's greatest hobby, model railroading. Here are your hosts, Thomas Gazier and Ken Zeska. This episode of The Crossing Gate is brought to you by the Hard Model Railroad Pills to Swallow. Yes, those tough-to-get-down truths that you just don't want to admit are correct. You know the ones, like, having a bigger layout won't make you happy. The bitter pill found at train shows. People are not buying your junk because it is overpriced. They are not buying it because it is junk. And one of the toughest to get down is... Having more trains won't make you happy. Yes, you can claim that buying one more heritage engine will make you content. One more coal car, then we can operate. Just one more structure kit to add to the 216 stashed in blue tubs under the layout. Then you can start building them. Yes, the model railroad doctor has prescribed some serious medication and it's up to you to choke these down. Make sure to wash these pills down with a tall glass of Ensign Morgan rum, the official rum of the Crossing Gate podcast, now in coconut and carrot flavors. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Crossing Gate podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by David Hamilton. Hello. Lawrence Eggering. Hello there. Mike Jordan. Hello. William Sampson. Hello, everybody. Joe Binish. Good evening. And Dan Dosa. Hey! And today's podcast topic is rabbit holes. Deep dives into specific research. And I'm going to go to you, Dan, and you can tell us what your current rabbit hole is. Because I know these can change as your modeling evolves. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. You know, this is one of these things that, thank goodness for the internet, it's allowed us to find information that otherwise we might have never found. And to me, it's one of the best aspects of of the hobby is finding these little, little things and, and then just digging into them to learn more and more and more. So on my layout, one of the big things that I work on is figuring out how these industries were actually switched. What went where? How was it moved? Were there any particular unique features? The nice thing, of course, is I'm modeling a more modern era, but still 20 years ago. I've been able to talk with people and research aspects of the various industries, the traffic that these industries generated. I'll give you an example. One of my signature industries is a place called Interplastic. 
And I won't bore you with all the details, but I was at a point where I understood that Interplastic received two types of tank cars, two different commodities. Great. I'm good to go. Then I found, uh, and this again was talking with an engineer who's worked this line, that the plant will tell you where they actually want things spotted. So that could change from one movement to the next. Then he told me just a couple of days ago that they also occasionally ship a tank car out of a different product. So I'm learning all of these things and then trying to integrate these things into my operations. And to me, I I guess maybe nobody else cares, but to me, those nuances, those little nuggets, if you will, are what bring the layout to life. They're the little things that tell the story of a particular layout. And so I just love looking for these things on my layout and uncovering different little things which tell me more and more about how I can realistically model things. Again, one quick thing with Interplastic was it's a gated industry and nobody enters until the foreman unlocks and opens the gate. So I've now got that feature along with the foreman telling the, uh, the train engineer or train crew where they have to move things. So that's why I do it. And that's what I love. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. The internet and then personal knowledge from uh, someone who actually works for the railroad you model. And we'll go to Joe. What's a current rabbit hole you're digging into? Well, mine has a happy ending. It sounds like Dan's does, but this one's a really happy ending. little background, the MNCNL had coal mines down in Illinois, and they used a specific series, couple series of gondolas to ship the coal either up here to Minnesota or Chicago. And I convinced uh, Mike Bolsgrove at two parts to create this kit. So my four at 40 bucks a pop arrived last weekend. And so now once I get a few things off my bench, I can build these little guys. And it's a really neat welded gondola. So it lends itself very much to uh, 3D printing. And he included decals and he's got the builder's photos and photos that I provided for him for the uh, mechanism for the drop doors. It's a GS type gun. I was at an RPM and talked to him and, and he said, yeah, yeah, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. And that was three or four years ago. And then as it was getting closer, he had more and more questions on specifics on the gondola. And I was able to work with uh, Gene Green and um, Ron Christensen. And we came up with the information and got these babies built. So I am beside myself with pleasure on this uh, this kit. The, the, green, the grin on the podcast is mine. William, you mentioned something when we were talking in the lead up about uh, elevator heights. Tell me what you got going on. Well, uh, it's a research. I think Dan hit it right away. And Joe, even you talking about the gondolas and having the ability to start diving into the learning process. And as much of, uh, you know, a steward of school, I am, I I love learning. Not really. Uh, I'm a visual learner. So most of my learning has to happen by looking at stuff, seeing how it actually is applied to life. A manual is not one that I like to read, but I do when I get in trouble. After something has uh, gone amiss and that blue smoke has been released, I look at why it was released. 
But uh, Joe, you talked about the elevators and the elevators in the Hiawatha Elevated District and Dan models this as well are extremely tall and they look huge. So when you're down there to do something one-to-one and modeling one-to-one, it does become intimidating. It becomes daunting. It becomes overwhelming. Well, I wanted that one-to-one feel. So we went down there with the drone and we put that thing up in the sky and started measuring the heights of the elevators, uh, the heights of the head houses and started getting numbers on paper. And to be able to use a drone is a great tool just to be able to go up and see exactly how tall it is. And I had estimations by using algebra and I was only off by five feet. So I was actually fairly happy with uh, some of the research I was doing for myself. Uh, I used a gulf, basically a distance marker to be able to look up and see how far the top of the elevator was. I measured how far away from the elevator I was and then go through my algebra and got myself the distance and the height of the elevator. Um, But long story short, the research that you start diving into, looking at older photos, how long has it been there? When did they add that structure? You can go down so fast and so quick that it just becomes almost kind of an obsession. And with that obsession, the height of the elevators has started to scale them out. So if anybody has seen any of the stuff I've talked about uh, with the Walther's kit, the Walther's kit is 95 feet tall. You think that's pretty tall. You know, you put a 85 foot box car on end and think, man, it's almost the height of that height of that elevator. But when in reality, the elevators themselves are 170 feet tall. And now we're going to start scaling that out. And we start looking at it and you say 170 feet, that's really tall. That's two 85 footers on end. And when you start getting to those scales, it starts to almost become in a way cartoonish. And maybe it looks a little bit out of place, but I continued to drill down. I talked to a lot of these guys that are on the podcast, as well as a few others. And I ran it by him. I even sent a text to my dad and I says, what do you think of this? And he goes, whoa, that looks, it looks kind of messed up. It doesn't look right. And um, you know, I says, well, it is. Well, I didn't have the width of my building quite as wide as what it should have been prototypically. So I started drilling down and I find some information. The U of M had a PDF that showed the width of the building. So now I open the width up and you look at that scale compared to the silos. You're getting that much closer. So the rabbit hole element everybody's going to dive down it. And there's so many different directions that we can go with them that as you start to drill down, it is actually kind of gratifying because you're looking for that information. And by the time you finally get it, I've got the elevators all scaled out. I really like the height of the head house. I like the length of the elevators. Um, They're just shy of, I think I'm at about 40 inches and it, it starts to feel bigger, 48 inches, almost four feet long. And you think that's a huge structure. You know, at the end of the day, it's close to the prototype, as close as I can to get to the one-to-one scale. So it is fun. I think that's that's part of it. It is the research and helping others out. Dan threw his information at me. Like I said, these guys were all kind of bouncing around. And Dan says, go with it. If it's one-to-one, go with it. So that's as true as I could possibly stay. And now, uh, Larry, did you have a, a rabbit hole that you might have been running down? Is it elevator-related or Arduino-related? There are a thousand Arduino uh, rabbit holes I've gone down. <laughs> the My actual favorite was a um, a New York Central F.A. Alco. And I got a bunch of undecorated ones. Gosh, it's maybe 15 years ago. I was looking around for paint schemes and trying to be lazy I said, you know, let's go with cigar band because the lightning stripes, getting the decals laid on them right is is a challenge. So I got out my books and I found a lightning stripe Alco and I found two pictures of it that had a gold stripe for the lightning stripe. 
All the other ones were white. That led me down this three-month search trying to find out information on this one locomotive. And there was a limited amount on the internet. But I actually stumbled across a guy that was a historian for the Historical Society. I asked him about it, and he said, yeah, it was a one-off, and it had a specific purpose for the executive train for a little while, and then it had another purpose and another purpose. And there was distinctive things on it, like lift rings were in a different place, and the headlight was a little bit different, and this was a little different. That led me into modeling all these little minutia pieces that only Larry and two pictures on the internet would ever know about. I've kind of documented it. And if somebody else ever wanted to know, they could learn. Kind of makes me a one fact Charlie on that job, which is pretty good deal. You know, it gave me bragging rights on that locomotive because I can point at it and say, look at that gold band compared to all those white ones over there. You know, that was that was a fun one because I kind of did it at my leisure. Um, I printed the decals. I have an Alps printer. So I was able to print gold foil decals. And it came out really nice. That was probably my most fun rabbit hole. What about you, David? What do you have for us? Oh, you know, I think the latest one, or maybe the only one, now that I think about it, was my quest to build an accurate model of a lacrosse Burlington passenger depot that was built in 1939 on the one side of lacrosse that bordered, you know, the golf course that's out there, like at the base of granddad's bluff and i'd seen one or two articles on it i knew it existed so i started digging around and i found a picture in in a burlington morning sun book you know we tried just doing some basic internet research and nothing was coming up you know we needed a magic hook and at some point i realized that i had a cd from the burlington route historical society that had depot floor plans which i probably had for 10 years and i didn't even realize that i had it and lo and behold there was an actual floor plan as depot with the uh, dimensions and everything and it also mentioned that it was designed by a company called holabird and root so we started using that in our search and i always say we because my wife is helping and she really likes digging into this stuff so she actually managed to find a bunch of black and white pictures of this depot, you know, to supplement the floor plan that I had. Then I started, you know, I actually started roughing the thing out. And by the way, it's pretty much finished, but that's another story. And then it dawned on me that I had a, a friend that grew up in lacrosse, you know, he's, he's an S-scale modeler. So I, I got in touch with him. Not that there's anything wrong with being an S-scale modeler, but wait a minute. Yeah, yeah See, I knew I would hit a nerve there. <laughs> but, so it turns out that he remembered the thing quite vividly from his childhood. His father was actually a, was a doctor in lacrosse, and he was on call for the Burlington Railroad. You know, if somebody got sick within, like, say, 100 miles of lacrosse, if there was any kind of medical issue, he would meet him at the depot, passenger trains coming up from Chicago or down from the Twin Cities. So this friend of mine, Mike, had many an opportunity to visit the depot before it was torn down in the mid-70s. And he helped fill in some of the holes as to what it really looked like on the inside, what the colors of it were. Not that I'm going to do an interior. You know, I'm still looking, and it's amazing how I, every once in a while, I just go on a tear, and I just, I, 
I just keep looking and finding pictures in the least likely places like eBay postcards, somebody's Twitter account that had some black and white pictures of this thing. I contacted an artist that lived in La Crosse and, and he was able to fill in some information. So I'd still, you know, I'm not going to go insane and put an interior in it or anything, but I'd like some more information on what it looked like on the outside color-wise. It was made out of a lanon stone brick, but what color were the window frames, you know, for instance, were there really flowers planted around it? I think that one of the neatest pictures I found was after it was torn down, I found a picture of the foundation of the, of the depot, and that's actually going to help me kind of lay out a parking lot area around it, somewhat truncated, but such is life. So there, that I think that qualifies as a rabbit hole I and mean, it's it, it doesn't take long for me to start looking i looked on the burlington route site and they have 400 pages of Flickr album pictures and i think i've made it through the first 25 pages hoping that there might be another picture of the depot or two from different angles so i guess i'm not finished with it but i'm finished with it yeah i so like there. the point you brought up where you got your wife involved. Oh, and, yeah. And we're going to come back to that to helpers. And I'm going to go to Mike and ask him what his current rabbit hole. And then we'll go back and we'll see how we Tom Sawyer our friends into assisting us or or our, or our loved ones here. So, Mike, what are you digging into now? I model the Santa Maria Valley Railroad in Central Coast, California. And online, I befriended um, someone that, models the town of Guadalupe, which is the interchange point. So we conversed back and forth, and he asked me if I had any information on Raymar carrot packing plant, and I'd never heard of it. And he said that they shipped two refrigerator cars full of carrots per day. So that was a little quick research. I never did find a picture of the packing plant, but a little family history. My rabbit hole is now I'm going to pull a building off of my layout and create carrot shipping packing plant, just kind of based on generic looks. But the rabbit hole was my brain went, well, how many acres does it take to grow enough carrots so that you can ship two refrigerator cars per day. Well, I calculated out that it takes 0.8 acres to grow enough carrots for two car loads of carrots per day. Then I looked at how long it takes to grow carrots, and it's about 70 days from planting to harvest so so now you're in the fha or something now <laughs> yeah, well, that, well, yeah i wanted, I wanted yeah, to model so, the carrot fields yeah, i think, I think he's trolling oh. us with the carrots on the rabbit hole podcast yeah, i think you're yeah, making this yeah. kind of mean it sounds like he got it out of a math book <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and so it takes a uh, hundred acres plus or minus where you plant one day and you're harvesting the next. And so then you have this rotation. Well, then my brain said, well, where do you get enough carrot seeds to plant carrots? 
and it takes two kilograms of carrot seeds per acre <laughs> or 600 carat, uh, kilograms of carrot seeds for the whole 100 acres scattered over the year time period. So. Hey, Dan, since you're the psychologist, I think we need an intervention here. Yeah. <laughs> so how does... Mike, I see your health care card. <laughs> Kilograms of seeds. How yeah. do the seeds come in? Do they come in by truck or do they come in by train? Well, you know, thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to add to it, Mike. Yeah. I want to add to it. What is the percentage of failed seeds? Yeah, so there can we go. Calculate that into your two kilograms. Is these baby it's carrots or is that? It's three point seven four percent failure rate per seed per acre. Uh, <laughs> it had to be higher in the fifties. And, and uh, so then my next rabbit hole that is even deeper is who grows carrots for the seeds and where. So, you know, someone's <laughs> got to grow carrots and just let them go to waste and then they seed up and then combine comes down and harvests the seeds. And, you know, so flax is probably the worst thing to harvest, but carrot seeds are about a quarter the size of flax. So I just can't picture this equipment. So that's the, the rabbit hole that has nothing to do with railroading, but once that rock starts rolling down the hill, it's kind of hard to stop it. So, so now this you need is a why model railroaders. Yeah. This is, this is why model railroaders end up in the houses with the, the uh, coats that tie behind the Yeah, house. we're talking to Dan. So you have a boxcar full of Northrop carrot seeds in little packets. Then <laughs> <laughs> I weigh them. And I weigh them. See how many seeds are in there, and then and Bon, how many how many carrots were lost due to rabbits? Yeah, can yeah. bring it full circle. Yeah. yeah, and they live in holes, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Oh my gosh, that's why we save you for last, Mike. That is just. I don't, I don't, I don't know what we're gonna do. What are we gonna do now, guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a mic drop moment. He's done. He's I could, I could talk about the how coconuts are shipped too, if you want. <laughs> This doesn't have to do with European sparrows or anything, does it? So, <laughs> African or European? Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll save the coconuts. Well, I want to go back to what, like David mentioned, with he, uh, Tom Sawyer's his wife into research. And I'm kind of like this, too. I hear of your guys' projects, and it fires me up for me to start digging. Ask Dan, because I kind of inundate him with a lot of information that maybe he doesn't really want. But I'll go back to you, Dan. Have you ever, Tom Sawyer, some of us into one of your projects? Well, yeah, everybody. I, I'm going to tell you about one of the most fun I had personally. So I, I'm modeling the Hennepin Avenue line in Northeast Minneapolis. And one of the biggest and kind of signature industries of that line was cream of wheat. Now, most of all of us know cream of wheat. This was the plant where it was produced. So I kick myself, given that in 2002, this closed. It's now condominiums. I never went down there. I never saw it. If I'd have known where, where I was going, I'd have lived down there. But of course, stupid me, I didn't. During the pandemic, I had time to kill. One of my rabbit holes 
was trying to figure out how best to model this building. And it's an iconic building and not readily amenable to being kit bashed. I struggled back and forth, back and forth for this. What I had from my online research was what I define as the perfect photo of the building because it's not the front of the building. Crack side photo looking into the loading area and it's just perfect. Minor problem, the photo online is way too small and if I try to enlarge it, it degrades to nothing. So I've got this problem. But given I I had time and nothing better to do, I started looking around online and I tracked eventually who the photographer was, uh, an elderly gentleman, and he's still around in the Twin Cities. He's a, um, um, he's a world-renowned photographer. He's exhibited at some, you know, I don't know, this, this little dinky place called, uh, what is it? Oh, yeah, the Guggenheim. The phenomenal photographer. But he shot this perfect picture that I needed. So out of the blue, I email him, hoping that maybe he'll say, oh, yeah, who's this jerk? Okay, I'll call him. Day later, two days later, I got a call from him. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a digitized copy of the photo. And so I've got now a digital file that I'm working on getting large enough to use instead of trying to kit bash. This is a background structure. And he's a wonderful, wonderful, kind gentleman, delightful man. And I asked him about the photograph and he said, well, he likes taking railroad photographs. He's done a lot of them. The second was he always loved cream of wheat growing up. So when he found after moving here that the cream of wheat building was here, he trucked down there and did some photos of it. I think these rabbit holes can take us in all sorts of interesting directions. And if we want to move our, our modeling beyond what's traditionally available, what's out there in terms of published, or I mean, not published, but manufactured models. These rabbit holes are are the way to go. And then to think about kit bashing or scratch building or designing our operations around these things. To me, that, that was one of the most satisfying I've ever been involved with. Hey, Dan. Yes, I agree. I agree with you. And I think it's, you know, the the danger to me is, is that you can get so involved with, you know, carrots or the height of elevators or Emerson Algondal is that you lose focus on what you're really trying to accomplish. And that's what I find myself doing, not being able to stay on target, but I have to get to the end of the the burrow for the rabbit at some point and say, all right, now I really need to get back on what I'm really trying to accomplish here. And while it may be fun to take the the side trip, sometimes you end up, you know, in in weird places. You know, Joe, I I think you are 100% right. You guys have heard me say this before. Everything I learned in life, I learned in graduate school. And I remember uh, an article I read on philosophy of science. It's an article on epistemology. The author concluded that there there were two types of scientists. One who given a single shard of evidence could construct the entire universe. And the other who literally could not save his ass from a fire because there was never enough data to prove the fire existed. And I think that the challenge for all of us 
is saying, I've gone far enough now to bring this back and apply it realistically to my modeling and let it go. And that's that's sometimes kind of tough because we're always left with that niggling thought. Do I do I know enough? If you've dug that far down the rabbit hole, let me assure you. Does the rabbit hole is going does to the rabbit resurface on you though, Dan? Right? Do you, if like we talked about this with he's talking about his um multi meal and it's gonna be a backdrop, right? Right. And that backdrop photo he had sent, I looked at it from a photographer's perspective and I says, well, perspective is off just based on the roof lines. If we eliminate the roof lines in that perspective, so you, you indirectly pulled me down in. I've got the photo up on my screen and this is one of those things that we go a little bit further and a little bit further, right? Right. So as we do William, that- I love you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but we're I, we're in the similar boat because I always think like at a certain point where I'll let go and just say, all right, I'm done. Dave even alluded to with his depot, he kind of has a footprint now of where the parking lot will be and he'll maybe scale it back a little bit. But to even spin it a little bit, do any of you guys revisit a rabbit hole after you've considered it done? Because Dan, we're not done with your background. We're going to get this thing dialed in. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm side by side with you on getting the perspective. But do any of you guys run into that where the rabbit hole resurfaces, that thing that you went after, do you ever go back after it again after you even might think it's done because somebody else has pulled you back in, whether it's a loved one or a, a fellow modeler? If I may, the Evan the St. Uh, gondola was I'm going to scratch built that and cast them in resin. Fortunately, I left it alone long enough for the guy to, with the 3D printer to say, "Oh, that's not going to be a problem at all," and he banged them out. Yeah, you, you go back after them, but sometimes it's it's you know the, the thought is is one more day and I'll have it figured out. Well, that's almost as dangerous as as coming up with a new project. William, you and I have talked about this. It's been a an ongoing source of frustration. That although I model a modern era, and everybody thinks, well, modern, just look outside. But it's 20 years ago, 22 years ago, 24 years ago, looking at the vehicles, the automobiles, the trucks that I put on my layout and saying to myself, uh, do I really have those right? Or are they too modern? Are they, are they 2015, 2020? Uh, are they too modern for the era I'm modeling? And so I think that you're absolutely correct. I think we have to all go back and look at that. We have to think about that and sometimes come to is, yeah, it's good enough. Or sometimes, yeah, I, I need to kind of redo that. Or rotating your vehicle. Like you kind of alluded to the, the year of a car. We always kind of joke, when does a cement mixer ever look different? I get it when it's got an old Mac cab and it looks old, but we've got stuff on the layout. It might be a grader. It could be a, you know, a surface grader that, oh, okay, it's actually an 80s era, but you've got it on your 70s layout. Or even another funny one is you take a lot of pictures of your railroad. When everybody looks at the railroad, if you leave your vehicles in the same spot every time, then it looks like that traffic never moves or their cars are broke down in the same spot. Go ahead and mix them up a little bit. Pick them up, move them around, put them in different parking spots, just kind of give a little bit more flavor. I'm not saying that's something you have to do, but uh, one little detail I picked up with Dan, and Dan, we're going to have to do a license plate party 
It's a minor little thing. Is a license plate on a car is a little detail. Love Dan to death and his his vehicles for me because I'm so obsessed in the vehicle rabbit hole. Is I look at a vehicle without a license plate and think that vehicle needs a license plate. Now there is a little rabbit hole. How about the current tabs? Do they need current tabs? Yeah. Well, they should be. They should be the right color, Tom. Come on. Yeah. You you need to be better friends with Dan to get over that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I've oh, got the license do with- plates. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, and, and they're <laughs> they're going on along with with occupants in the cars. I swear, I will get there someday. Only <laughs> occupants on cars that are in the middle of the road. We don't need them on the shoulder sitting there. <laughs> they're they're talking on their cell phones. Okay, all right, fair. <laughs> Dan, if you go yep. talk to uh, MnDOT, you can go and uh, see what the correct percentage of car manufacturers were for whatever 1985 or whatever and then you can uh, have your automobile fleet match the state fleet but you know joe one of one thing i saw this was on lance mindheim's blog it also i thought oh my god that's sheer genius he said if you're modeling a modern era most of your cars should be black white White or gray silver yep yeah our cars are black dark gray and silver outside of vehicles for a second and I know rabbit hole, we talked about this before and we kind of poke fun at you a little bit, Larry, but with the Arduino world, you don't have to go down the digital world, but throw something to us as far as a rabbit hole is concerned that when is research good enough? When do you, when do you draw a line and say, we're done with it? Or even you, Dave, one of you guys, what, what do you think? I can tell you in the Arduino world, you can always make code better. The variables, for instance, one of the projects I'm working on is setting up Arduino for a DC layout where a guy can have simple signaling uh, without doing any sensing of current or anything, but just using optical sensors. And there's some code out there, but it doesn't take into, well, is it a siding or is it a mainline? If the guy's got a ground throw, can it toggle the Arduino to make the dwarf signal go for the turnout? This is a rabbit hole. It started out with, you know, I'll do four directions, bi-directional, four sensors, and bang, you're done. Now, oh, what if the guy's, you know, mainline run is 12 feet long? Well, now I got to have a sensor at each end, and then I got to be able to tell what direction it's going. What started as a simple code operation, which I literally wrote in a half hour, has now got 40 hours in it because of all these other variables. Which can be the evolution of technology. That probably won't go away because the stuff will continue to evolve. And even right. from evolution of technology, there are guys that are 3D printing depots and, you know, actually laser cutting depot kits that go together quite nice. Now, Dave, do you ever hit a point where you see research on something and you can just put your hand up and then agree that you're done? Do you have a project where you've gotten to that point and just says, that's it? Yeah, I like the depot because I've just... I've had enough. It looks good. It'll fit in the space. I'm done with it. I'm not going to try to do an interior. So if you do find that interior information or some of those details, you're going to walk away from it. You're okay with that. And I think that's respectable. Yeah, because I I think that I I achieved what I wanted to achieve. I've got something that actually looks like it it was there. I mean, it's, it's scratch built off of pictures and the floor plans and the real, the real thing. So 
that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted to achieve. And besides, I think there's so many other things I need to be doing that it's time to move on. So, so Dave, exactly did you do that depot one-to-one? Yeah, I used the real floor plan. You know, it's 114 feet long and 28 and a half feet wide and 17 feet high on the main walls and I think 19 and a half feet high on the chimneys on either end. How do you so, feel about the presence of it on your railroad then going one-to-one? I'm real happy with the way it, it looks. I mean, it, I almost wish, to, maybe this is another, no, I'm not even going to go there. I almost wish that I would have thought about building this years ago because then I would have redone the scenery in a certain spot of the railroad to maybe make it a little bit more accurate. But again, I'm not going to be a prototype modeler and try to duplicate these scenes to the point where I have every leaf on every tree in place. So it's it's going to it's going to achieve what I wanted it to achieve and be accurate for the time period. I can't ask for more than that. So does it end up becoming kind of an obsession at the time? And then finally, once you've got it done, you can, you can, you can walk away from it and let it go. Cause at a certain point, are you then, if anybody has any questions about that depot, are you the guy to go to? I know I saw you at the YZ depot. I was working on my dad's research. You can all make fun of me for this because I took photos of the floor of the actual depot and I blew those up and put them in his YZ depot. Do we go too far? I mean, is that possible? You know, it's. I think it, you have a lot of things to consider. If, if if your life is to build a diorama that's super accurate, then what you're doing makes perfect sense. I mean, you could. I mean, I could see having the floor, the the, the type we have subway tile on the first part of the wall and plaster above that. But at some point, your life you're not going to live forever, so you have to get on with this stuff. You know. Just <laughs> that's essential there which which is when is enough enough i think for each of us that can be different if you're building a contest quality model that's one thing if you're trying to sustain an illusion of something you know you're saying if this creates a vision a good visual representation in the space i have that's another way to do it you know, but I think both of those are still beyond saying, for lack of a better way to say it, this is Burlington because I say it's Burlington because I put Burlington on the Wathers building, not because it looks like anything. I think part of that rabbit hole is how deep do each of us want to go there? You know, William, what you said I think is spot on. It's not a matter of this necessarily being right or wrong, but about each of us saying, I'd like to elevate my my modeling to another level. And in doing so, I'm going to just look at this. I'm going to research this and I'm going to see if I can just make it a little bit more realistic, a little closer to reality. But I do want to just note, just to piggyback you a little bit is we don't think of ourselves as artists, but in reality, we all are. And it's the different types of artists that are out there. You go into the Minneapolis Institute of Art and you can see everything from impressionism to realism to see all the variables that are out there for artists. Now, that's for paintings and maybe drawings. But us as modelers have to look at it from enough is enough when you as the artist can step back and look at your canvas and say, yeah, I'm done. I put any more paint on this thing and it's going to just meld together and look awful. So part of that, I think, is that enough is enough would be, 
can you step back and go, it's good. Dan, you're in a kind of a truncated version of what I'm doing. So you're doing the scale down the comas. I'm trying to go almost one-to-one. You know your canvas is in that wheelhouse. And when you're trying your techniques, you throw stuff at it and are willing to step back and go, yep, I'm calling that good. Now, I saw, Larry, you popped your hand up for a moment. Did you have something to kind of throw in there and kind of parallel where Dan was at? Yeah, one of one of our guys asked me to do a few Z circuit, and there's 20 Arduino few Z circuits out there. But he said, I wanted to behave like a prototypical few Z on my time clock. I had to come up with code that set a timer for few Z's. And Tom, you've seen a thousand of them. They go from nine and a half minutes to 10 and a half minutes. That's the, the average range. So I had to make the circuit so it would randomly go between nine and a half scale minutes to 10 and a half scale minutes. This rabbit hole was crazy because now I'm reading stuff about fusees that I didn't even know. I'd been around flares. We call them flares growing up my whole life. Now I know a lot about fusees and flares. But if those are the little rabbit holes. Now he's got a circuit. He pushes a button. And for that scale, 10 minutes, that fuse is there unless he turns it off. So that, is that a rabbit hole? Absolutely it is. But they, the rabbit holes tend to lead us into our prototype modeling. You but know that's, also, I mean? that's also argued the level that you want to take it to, because some guys would look at it and go, fuse Z. And I'm going to point at you, Mike, for a second. You always look at a throttle and say, I just want a knob and a direction switch. That's all I need. If the locomotive goes back and forth, that's enough for me, right? So in Mike, for you, for we'll look at it on from a more simplistic approach. What for you when is enough is enough? What do you call what do you call good? That's hard. There's this one level of uh, I, I'll call it ambiance of railroading. Alan McClellan had a saying, it's good enough. I admire people that can detail freight cars to the ribbit, but in operations, you don't want to chastise people for breaking something. I like coda weathering, and I'll slap it on the railroad, and off it goes. I, I don't care if it has 16 rivets or 18, it's as long as it operates quite well. You're killing so me, I, Mike. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you just have to stop yourself. And I think, Will, you brought up a good point is, the hardest thing is to stop, you know? And so with rapid holes, it's nice to know the information, but is it going to make your railroad perform any better? Well, the so, old phrase was analysis paralysis, you know, yes. and that's, that's yeah. the rabbit well, hole. Yeah, you know? well, just think of some idiot that's doing model railroading and is concerned about how many pounds of carrot seeds is going to take to grow carrots on an acre of land. I mean, you know. So, <laughs> what about his? Well, that guy's not about that guy's crazy. Yeah. yeah, we don't <laughs> hang out with people like that. We're, not. <laughs> We're leaving. <laughs> what about his friends that say how many of those fail? <laughs> we we used to make fun of you for your fumigation cars. Now, <laughs> so the the observation from my perspective is that when you start out you start out with the basics and you buy the pretty colors and you buy the cool you know whatever it is and as you move along the continuum of be becoming a more experienced model rear order 
you go off on the different branches, but you're constantly really narrowing down what you're going to end up with because you get more information. It cut the rabbit holes kind of build on themselves. Well, so then to piggyback on that, Joe, though, what is an avoid, like just from each guy, just to close up here, one thing that you would avoid on the rabbit hole front and Joe, since you mentioned the one going down and any rabbit hole can form, what was one that you would recommend guys to just avoid completely? MNCNL steam locomotives. Fair. (laughs) Check. Done deal. Dan, what's yours? Anything that stops you. What I mean by that is if something becomes, now you've become, as Larry said, paralyzed by analysis, paralysis by analysis. That's the point where you have to stop and back up and say, no, I'm not going to let that happen. Does the color of the fire hydrants in my town, in the era I'm modeling, really friggin' matter? So I'm fire gonna... hydrants for Dan, okay. Fire hydrants for Dan, obstacles, or even parking meters. Parking meters. Oh, I'll paint them yellow. Very good. And then, Mike, do you have one thing you'd avoid? If it doesn't expand your fun of operating or enjoying the railroad, just kick it off. I like it. Dan or Dave, what about you? Well, two-part answer. First, I agree with what Mike is saying. And the second part is just limit it or you're never going to get anything done, period. Pick yeah, that's even kind of right with Dan, obstacles. Yeah, just, just limit it. Otherwise, it'll never work. And Larry? Mine is going past the end result. Avoid going past what your expectation is of an end. So if you expect it to look like this, don't waste another 40 hours going beyond that. If that building is in the back and nobody's going to see the backside of the building, why are you detailing it? I like that. I like that. I'm kind of in that same boat. Mine would be is just cut it off. You got to walk away because you can always take things too far. And then even taking it too far is so far as to ruining what you've done. It might be over weathering. It might be over researching, which might be hard to believe that you can do it, but you can have too much research. I was working on an M&S book and I have compiled so much information to sift this thing through. You'd think that I'm using this very, very fine strainer and I'm using a strainer that would allow, you know, a one inch rock to fall through. And there's just still an abundant amount of information uh, and then, Tom, I know we, we're going to wrap it up here, but did you have anything in closing for yourself? And then we'll all say goodnight. Yeah, I'll, I'll finish it up. Wonderful discussion. And I think the one I would say to avoid is finding out how many carrot seeds you need in an acre to fill two, two 34-foot reefers. I think that's enough. So <laughs> with that, we'll, we'll go on to part two. So good night, everyone, and we'll cut it off after that. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. You've been listening to The Crossing Game, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division. You can find us on Facebook in our group, the Twin Cities Division of the NMRA. You can email us at tcdnmra at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe for future podcasts. Is this really, is there really Ensign Morgan? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I have to go drink some before I do this next commercial. Okay. Now in coconut and carrot flavors. <laughs> <laughs> carrot. <laughs> carrot. <laughs>
<laughs> rabbits now listening. Okay. <laughs> Everything I learned in life other than graduate school.